We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Please open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. I find it very fitting that we sang this song, Crown Him, Crown Him, and uh, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And you'll see why, I think, at the end of our passage here in a moment. But Acts chapter 12, we'll begin here at the beginning as we read through this account of the early church. It says in verse 1, Now, about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street. Immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the door, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Don't do that to your house, guests. You know, let him inside. <clears throat> but they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. 
Now Herod had, had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. They want to be on his good side in order to receive those, those supplies, the food. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. He was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Herod didn't rightly put the glory to God and establish the fact that he's not a god, but God alone is king of kings and lord of lords. And so the Lord judged him for that. And thus we see the account of, of the early church here in Acts chapter 12. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. 27th chapter in Genesis and invite you to go there with us. We're going to read, it's a lengthy chapter, narrative of a sad kind of story that uh, we'll see. Remember that um, Isaac, uh, so Ishmael and Isaac's families are told to us, uh, given a kind of genealogy or family history in chapter 25, and, um, you know, Isaac is uh, married to Rebecca. They wait a long time. They have children. Well, children, yeah, they expected one initially, but they had twins. And uh, the Lord told her about that when she prayed about it. And then uh, chapter 25 ends by fast-forwarding to uh, their young uh, adult life, evidently, when uh, Esau sold his birthright. We'll come back to that. Isaac and Abimelech had a uh, interaction there in chapter 26 where Isaac uh, followed the pattern of his father and lying about his wife. Uh, and uh, we saw at the end of that chapter that Esau, when he was 40, took uh, a couple of wives from the Hittite neighboring uh, tribes, and these were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So now Isaac uh, in, uh, blesses Jacob and sort of Esau. We'll see that just now. Let me read in chapter 27. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold now, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And make me a savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob her son, saying, Indeed, I have heard your father speak to Esau your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring uh, f me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Look, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. 
Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, let your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Your firstborn, I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Now, it happened. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live. And you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. 
So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like those who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? So she is grieved about her elder son's marriages. However, I think she's using this as a handy ploy to get Jacob out of there. Like, ah, there's an excuse. I can get my husband to agree to that, to send him away, to find a wife uh, in a faraway place so that uh, he will be saved from his brother's wrath. Um, Esau was, of course, mistaken, as you may remember by your further reading in your Bible times uh, throughout the years, that his dad didn't die immediately. Uh, He was left uh, on this earth for some time after that. We'll look at the chronology in just a moment. It was interesting to think, too, why why did she say, I'd be bereaved of you both in one day? Esau would kill uh, Isaac, and then the Bible says that whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. So Esau would be uh, subject to the death penalty for whoever would take care of that, and that would be a, a next of kin avenger of blood that could uh, come after him. I don't know who that would be particularly, but uh, it was uh, you know, part of the culture and tradition. That was how the law was uh, handed down or meted out. So in this section of Genesis, Jacob once again supplants Esau. He, he acts as a substitute, puts himself in place of his older brother, slightly older brother. And he did that before in chapter 25, which we, we mentioned when, when uh, he kind of schemed the birthright off of his brother. Um, But it wasn't just that he was such a schemer. He was that. But uh, there was something else going on in Esau's heart at the same time, which we'll mention in a bit. So the status of having the birthright was uh, allowed somebody to, to claim that place of firstborn. It allowed the owner of that birthright, so to speak, the firstborn title to oversee the clan going forward after the death of the patriarch. It provided a double portion of the inheritance. So if you were the oldest, you would get two-thirds and your younger brother would get one-third. Or if there was three siblings, you'd figure the math out and the oldest one would have double the portion of everybody else. And perhaps this inequity as we look at it was because the older would have more ongoing responsibilities to run the household as he was now in charge of it, but also simply because of the honor of being uh, the firstborn. So in Isaac's culture, Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Jacob, and so on, it was important to pass on a blessing to the eldest son when the person was near, when the father was near death. By the way, being in that firstborn spot actually also had a religious significance. Before uh, there was uh, the priesthood and the temple and all of that, the head of the household was the family priest. Remember Job? He would go and offer sacrifices for his children, saying in his heart, perhaps they have sinned against God, and and he wanted to make an atoning sacrifice for them, kind of as a help to them. Of course, they would have to respond and 
and uh, genuine confession and repentance if they were to have a right relationship with God as well. But that was an important part of being the firstborn and uh, having that. And of course, Esau had kind of departed from that, hadn't he? Demonstrated by how he married and he demonstrated by a couple of other things as well. So it's important to pass on this blessing. And I take it that the blessing and the birthright kind of are united together. You know what I mean? You can't, it's not like you really have one without the other or the, one, the other without the one. They kind of are, are together. And Jacob had secured the birthright by contract, but not yet the blessing. And uh, something's a little bit off here because Isaac should have known something about what God told them about these two children. Remember when they were in the womb still, the older would serve, the younger they were going to be swapped. And so, and it was especially important in this case, this blessing, by the way, because it wasn't just a normal family. This was the family who had been given the Abrahamic covenant promises. And so they are, you know, he's passing down the Abrahamic covenant, basically. I mean, can you imagine that? That is a big responsibility. Abraham to Isaac, Isaac passing it on to Jacob, Jacob to the 12 tribes. This is important. Now, Isaac died when he was 180 years of age. That's in uh, Genesis 35. So, so a number of chapters forward, verse number 28, it says, Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So, you know, obviously, as we know, we'll read on here and study together in future weeks, they did kind of bury the hatchet a little bit uh, and were able to at least act civilly to one another. Um, so he was 180. So this is several decades into the future from the, the chronology of the book. And so it's a bit of a false alarm that Isaac says, hey, I don't know the day I'm going to die, but I'm kind of getting close, so I've got to do this uh, you know, blessing uh, service, if you will, on my son. So, and, he, and he ignored you know, several facts in doing that. He ought to have known that he wasn't to bless his eldest son. Uh, he ought to have known that um, he shouldn't have had favor, a favorite son. Remember back in chapter... 25. We alluded to this back then. Um, let's see, was it 20? Yes, it was 25, 28. It says, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So that favoritism comes into play. You can't, favoritism can't overrule God's word. Okay? So he had several issues. He wasn't supposed to be doing this blessing of his eldest son, but he Set it up that way. said, my eldest son, I want you to come bring this game. I'll bless you. Now, in the appendix of these notes, I put in some verses that if you stitch them together, you can kind of look at that at the end. Stitch those together, and you'll see that um, by going all the way to the end of the book of Genesis, you can reverse engineer back and find out that Isaac was... Uh, or uh, Jacob, rather, was 130 when he met Pharaoh, okay? And if you back that up with Joseph's age when he stood before Pharaoh at 30 and when he was born in the 14th year of Jacob's sojourn with Laban, okay, I, mean, I know I'm stressing out your backward-thinking chronological mind here. You take his age minus the 14 years that he was there, 
His age was 91 at that time. You can look through the details there. Minus the 14, you come to 77. 77 is a a big number. And what it does is it tells us, well, if, if Jacob is 77 and he was born when his father Isaac was 60, that means Isaac is at this point 137. Now, I'll forgive you if when you're 137, you think you're close to dying. (laughs) But he lived on for 43 more years after that point to 180, okay? And I know you you probably, like me, are like, okay, are we talking about Isaac or Abraham or Jacob or the 12? I mean, you get all confused here. I find myself doing that all the time. But in any case, we don't have to focus on those numbers so much as just to say he was 137, uh, when he was, he was 60, when the twins were born. Remember, he was married at 40. 20 years, he prayed for his wife to have children. He was 60 when they were born. So 137 now, that means that Jacob and Esau, the twins, are 77 years old at this time. Now, when, when I read this passage before, I would just think, man, these kids are like 18 or 20. They're punks. I mean... You know, why is he going before his dad and lying to him and and all this sort of stuff? No, they're 77 years old. Jacob, the supplanter, pulled off this birthright caper, the blessing caper at 77 years of age. He was not in his late teens or 20s when he pulled this stunt. His mother, Rebecca, was, well, let's say she was 18 when she traveled across the desert and uh, was married and 20 years later, she is able to have children. She's 38. Add the 77 years of age of her twin sons means that she's now 115. That's approximate, okay? Suffice it to say, when you're 115 and 77 years old, you ought to know better than to conduct yourself in this manner. They should have known better. They were old enough to know better. They should not have deceived to get their own way, that is, mom and Jacob. They should not have lied to an old man who was almost entirely blind. Maybe he was entirely blind. I'm putting almost because, you know, maybe he had some, he could see some light or something, but probably the glaucoma or macular degeneration or whatever had set in so badly. He really was legally blind, if not totally blind. They should not have taken advantage of a man who didn't taste food very well and couldn't tell the difference between a kid of the goats uh, and venison that was taken from the field. Or perhaps uh, Rebecca spiced it and seasoned it in such a way that it tasted like that. Uh, I don't know, but they did not exhibit trust in God to fulfill his promise that the older would serve the younger. You with me? They schemed like Abraham and Hagar, Sarah, you know, they didn't trust the Lord. And that's a common theme in these chapters in Genesis, isn't it? Abraham didn't trust God about protecting him regarding his beautiful wife. Say you're my sister, the Pharaoh and Abimelech. Isaac failed on that same count as well. Back up even further, Eve didn't trust God about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, i got to have that thing. Lot didn't trust God and obey him about where he lived and about leaving Sodom before the firestorm that came upon that city. Remember, the angels come into the city. They have to drag him out by the hand, basically, and say, you're going. 
whether you like it or not. And he's trying to talk them out of it and all that. Abraham and Sarah didn't trust God about having son Isaac and tried their own scheme instead. And you have the same thing here. My friends, the lesson has to be clear to us. Don't be a schemer. Trust God. You face something that's difficult. Don't be like, okay, I'm going to lie this way and deceive that way and I'm going to get around this so I can get to the other side of this thing because I know how to do it. No, sit and trust God. Pray. Ask for godly counsel. What should I do in this situation? Maybe you have to take, you know, take it on the chin. Maybe you have to do whatever. Maybe you have to suffer the spoiling of your goods. Whatever, but don't do it this way. As we know, Rebecca intercepted the information that a blessing from Isaac was imminent, and she informed Jacob to quickly get ready, disguise himself, and steal the blessing from his brother. This only worked because of the father being blind and his senses being dulled. Now, Jacob's initial reaction, remember what it was? What is an, let's stop. What should have his initial reaction been? Mom, I am not going to be party to deceiving my father. But he's like, well, maybe he'll catch me. And then I'll have a real problem on my hands. So he's already kind of halfway down the path, you know what I mean, of, of going down this deception. And then he listens to his mom. Now, usually, especially you young people, it's a good idea to listen to your mom. But if your mom is telling you to sin, it's not a good idea to listen to your mom. And that's what she was doing. So they, you know, he, his initial reaction was he was worried he'd be found out. This should have led him to flee in the other direction than his mother's plan. But he listened to his mom and carried out her deceptive plan. And their ruse worked. Jacob got Isaac to say the blessing formula over him. And I'm not going to go and read all that again. It's a pretty straightforward passage. But you, you, know, you have to wonder, from my vantage point at least, how, how is this uh, a legitimate blessing? I mean, this is like one of those kind of proverbial you know, contracts that you sign, but there's like lies in the contract or preconditions that aren't met or contingencies or, you know, you're not um, uh, of sound mind to be able to sign the contract. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's like it makes the contract null and void. So from our perspective, we have to wonder. But then there's the problem that God was using the circumstance to, to deal with Isaac, who wanted to bless Esau when he shouldn't have wanted to, and Jacob knowing that he should receive the blessing, and Rebekah knowing that, and so everybody's in a mess, and so God somehow uses all of the situation to set, put this blessing upon Jacob. Now, this is a problem because later on, what happened with uh, Jacob? He didn't get off scot-free on this. He gets the blessing. But then he has to be exiled from his family, estranged from his brother, never see his mom again. Uh, he comes back in time to see his dad and, and uh, bury him. But he goes to this uh, very nice fellow, I speak uh, you know, sarcastically, Laban, who cheat, cheats him seven years, seven more years, six more years, trying to change his wages ten times, he'll say, in the future chapters here. And so he gets pretty heavy dose of his own medicine 
And then he wrestles with God on the way back, which again we'll see in the future. And God kind of asks him several times, like, who are you now? Like, what's your name? Remember? Your dad asked you two or three times, what's your name? And you lied. So they had, he had some serious consequences in the future years from what he did. All kinds of conflict in his family. and Let's see, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What was, what was Jacob's second to last son's name? His youngest was Benjamin, right? Joseph. What happened to Joseph? Oh, just a little thing about being sold into slavery and not being able to see him for 22 years. And coat of many colors, he had a favorite too. And, you know, all of that sort of thing. So look in 27 to 29, during the, the giving of this blessing, he alludes to the fact that he thinks this is Esau. The smell of my son is like the smell of a field. You know, you've, you've experienced that before, right? When somebody comes in from outside, they smell like outdoors. <laughs> yeah, there's something about that. Um, but he gives, he gives really Abrahamic covenant language. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. So he passes those curses and blessings down to his son. And these are not just personal, but also they are, um, you know, to his descendants. So Esau comes in just then. You can imagine the scene. Jacob scurrying out just in time, closes the door behind him, and out in, in the other side comes Esau. And he comes too late to receive the blessing and receives really just leftovers. Now, Esau did exactly what he was told to do, didn't he? He went out, he got game, he made the game, he comes in. And so it you know, seems pretty unfair. But remember... 25, 34, chapter 25, 34 says he despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. The Bible's evaluation of this is given in Hebrews 12, 16. It says there, lest there be any profane person among you like Esau. Profane doesn't mean that he used profanity. It means vulgar, worldly, common, irreligious, pagan, he was profane. This was a manifestation of his departure from the faith of his family. I mean, you have to put, it's easy to read these words, but you have to think of the personal relational interaction that happens here. Esau says, I don't care about my dad getting the Abrahamic covenant. I don't want it for myself. I don't believe in that God. I'm going to take pagan women for my wives, two of them, by the way, not just one. He's basically saying, I don't have much to do with you people. That's, that hurts. He was not a religious fellow in the good sense of that term, religious. He didn't care. He blew it off or however you want to describe it. But he wants the goods. You know, when somebody dies, what happens in the world? Everybody comes around to get the, the reading of the will and they want the stuff. They want the money. But he cried and it was already done. His distaste for his birthright now had come back to haunt him. He wanted the firstborn blessing without the birthright as if the two were separable, but they weren't. So Isaac realized uh, that now he had been deceived and if you look at that, look what it says in verse 33. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. Why do you think he was trembling? Well, he realized somebody had pulled the wool over his eyes, so to speak. 
he had given a blessing to somebody else, the wrong person, but perhaps he came to a realization of God's words back in chapter 25, the older will serve the younger. Two nations are in your womb, remember, to his wife all those many years ago, 77 years, better than three quarters of a century earlier. Maybe he thought of his wrong-headed favoritism of Esau and the belief that he was to pass down the blessing to Esau that he had held for these years instead of to his second-born son. Maybe he realized he was outside of God's will. He had been thinking badly for many years, like, oh, you ever had that feeling? Like, oh man, I've really blown it. I've really been thinking wrong about this, wrongly about this. And so he's trembling. He's like, what have I done? What has happened? What is... And so they, kind of, they do kind of shift the blame to Jacob, and he is blameworthy. He was a supplanter. He was a deceiver. He was a liar. But somehow this all stood, and uh, he realized, oh, that actually is how God wanted it to happen, even though I didn't realize that initially. So to soothe his own anger, Esau planned to kill his brother as soon as his dad was dead. And again, you'd say, well, he's a hot-headed 20-year-old kid, you know. No, he's 77 years old. Hadn't learned the kind of uh, grace of taking difficulty like that by the time he was 77. So Rebekah got wind of this plan, sent Jacob away and uh, to Laban so Esau could cool down. And there Jacob could find some wives. Another reason that he had to leave is to find a wife because if he took another pagan wife, this would just make his parents all the more grievous in their hearts. So they sent him away both to save his life and to find a wife. Now note that Jacob could have and should have received his father's blessing another way. God's way, not the deceitful way. I can say this, and I hope you can as well, as difficult as the situation may seem, we are 100% confident that God never requires us to sin to do his will. Okay, it's God's will that we're going to have a son, Sarah, so it's not working, so let's try another way, a sinful way. Uh, Jacob says, hey, I'm the one that deserves the blessing. I have the birthright. God promised it to me when I was in the womb. So we'll circumvent the normal, you know, we'll, we'll go the deception route. God never requires you to sin to be in his will. Okay? Now, we are also certain that if we believe in God, he will take care of things. But sometimes God allows this sort of stuff, you know, as unpleasant as it, as it is to, uh, to accomplish his purposes. And I don't understand how all that works, but I read it in Scripture, and the nature of the God whom I know is such that I can trust him when these difficult things come up. I don't have it all figured out. I won't have it all figured out. I don't have to. So what should Jacob and Rebekah have done? Well, I'll give you three or four things. Number one, they should have recited to Isaac God's words from 77 or 78 years ago during the pregnancy recorded in Genesis 25. God revealed these words to her in an answer to her prayer. This wasn't just filler words that were put into the Bible just out of interest. That was there because this is happening here. And so they should have recited that to her, uh, to their dad, to her, to her husband, to their dad, 
um, because that was God's plan for these lads. Second, they should have reminded Isaac that his eldest son had exhibited extreme disrespect by despising the birthright. He sold it to his younger brother. Legally, it belonged to the younger brother now. Esau swore that he did not want it. You know, he just wanted the pot of stew. Give me some food, brother. So this action not only showed disrespect for God, but also disrespect for his dad. If you think about it, that hurts too, doesn't it? Disrespect of the dad in that way. Third, so not only tell the words, remind him of the words of God, uh, remind Isaac that, that Esau had, had sold his birthright. Third, Esau exhibited a lack of concern for his family by his choice of marriage partners. He was okay going down the pagan route, not believing the God of Abraham and Isaac. He departed from that path. Sometimes big decisions in your life demonstrate what you really believe, right? Really, what you really believe. You, you can tell me you believe in the Lord all day long, but if you live opposite direction, I'll listen to what you say, but I'm going to watch your feet. And your feet are going to really tell the tale as to what your real beliefs are. Finally, both parents should have abandoned their favoritism. Those four things would have saved them from all of this controversy that they had in their home. But again, we go back and remind ourselves that we want to choose the way of faith over the way of pragmatism. Pragmatism. Oh, just do whatever is necessary to get the job done. No, Go the way of faith. Do it the right way. Believe in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we've had to look in the Word today. And Lord, it's been uh, instructive for us to remind us that we need to take the pathway of faith, not the pathway of so-called least resistance, or the pathway of expediency or pragmatism or by any means necessary because we want to honor you. And although we might say the stakes are different or not as high in our case as it was back here, we must also remind ourselves that to walk outside of faith is deadly. It's dangerous. It's distracting from the things of God. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to resolve to live by faith and not by mere expediency. So thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.